Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host Simon Skidmore and today I thought we'd pause our study on the book of John to go back and have a look at Genesis chapter 1. If you recall in the last episode we had an introduction to John's gospel and we talked about the idea of light shining into the darkness and of God's creative wisdom breaking through into human history. And I realize that this is going to continue. John's going to continually draw on these themes throughout his gospel. So at this point, I've decided let's pause and let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and have a look at these themes within the opening chapter of the Jewish Bible. As we look at Genesis chapter 1, there's so much to talk about. There's so much that gets said about these verses. But I want to concentrate on three things this morning. One will be a general overview of what's going on in Genesis chapter 1, and in particular these ideas of life and death, light and darkness, all these themes which John draws upon. Second, we'll talk about the Sabbath and how that seems to be a theme in Genesis chapter 1. And third, we'll talk about this idea of the image of God and what it means to be created in God's image. And I want to concentrate on these things for a particular reason because we often get sidetracked when it comes to this creation account often we get sucked into debates over seven-day creation over theistic evolution all these things which seem so important but really all they're doing is sidetracking us from what the author's really doing in Genesis chapter 1 so without further ado let's have a look at the opening of this chapter from verse 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, there's a lot there, but for our purposes, let's notice first up, in the beginning are those same words which John begins his gospel with. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John brings out this creation theme when he mentions that Nothing was created without this world that has been made, but everything was made through it. So John's echoing this creation account, as I mentioned in the last podcast. Now, what did God create in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? We're told the heavens and the earth. Now, for us, in the normal parlance in which we use these words, we would think heaven as this celestial sphere in the sky where God lives with angels, they strum harps, and we'd think of Earth as this planet in which we live on, the planet Earth, because that's the way we use these words in our everyday lives. But that's not what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, the heavens refers to the sky And Genesis chapter 1 explains itself. In verses 6 to 8 we read, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. In the ESV, the words expanse. In the King James Version, it's firmament. But what is the writer talking about here? Whatever this expanse or firmament is, he calls it heavens. In other words, the thing that God creates, the heavens, in verse 1, 
is this expanse. And it doesn't make an awful lot of sense in our modern scientific way of viewing the world. But in an ancient sense, it makes perfect logic. The ancients believed that there was water above the earth and water below the earth. And there was good reasons for believing this. They would look up in the sky and they would notice that it's blue. And every now and again, it would rain. Water would fall out of the sky. So for water to fall out of the sky, there must be water up there, right? This all makes sense. And they would talk about God opening the windows of the sky to let the rain out. As any good Israelite would tell you, there must be something holding the water up because otherwise it would all fall down all at once. There must be some type of door or window which actually holds the water in to stop it from falling down. The ancients talked about this sky dome. Maybe it was made out of a battered metal or polished bronze, something like that. But they used to say that there was this dome which would hold the waters above the earth up so that it doesn't fall down. And that's what separated the waters above the earth from the waters below the earth. And now when we read those verses, it makes so much more sense. There's this expanse which holds the water up, which is up there and separates it from the water below and creates this livable space in the middle for you and I to live in. Now, I've mentioned the earth without talking about what is actually meant by the earth in this chapter. So it's not the planet Earth. Remember, these books are written before the scientific revelation, before Copernicus, before Galileo, before telescopes. People thought about the world differently at that time. For these people, the Earth, as it's written in Genesis 1, is a flat land disk. And so when you think Earth, don't think the planet Earth whirling around in the sky. Think about the ground, the terra firma which you're standing on. That's the earth, which the writer's talking about in Genesis chapter one. And so the ancients believed there was this earth, which we dwelled. There's this sky dome, which separates the waters above the earth from the waters below the earth. Up the top there, that sky dome was called the heaven. And they did believe there was a celestial sphere where God lives up there and we live down here. And they also believed in this other realm underneath the earth called Sheol in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it's called Hades. It's like the underworld or the realm of the dead, which again makes sense because when people die, we bury them in the ground. And so they go down to Sheol, down to this underworld. So that's the cosmology, their conception of the universe, which the writer is working with in Genesis 1. And if we can keep that in our minds, it just makes the whole thing a lot less confusing. Now, let's go on. So we're told that in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, the sky, the ground, and by implication, everything in between. Scholars call this a merism. It's like saying the alpha and the omega. It doesn't mean A and Z. It doesn't mean alpha and omega. It means the alpha and the omega and everything in between. When we say A to Z, we mean the A, the Z, and everything in between. And that's the same thing which the writer's talking about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I view this, pass, this verse as like a title, saying, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to tell us how that happened. Well, this earth, this land disk, 
was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. This without form and void is actually a hangover from Greek philosophy. In Greek philosophy, they believe that that's how the earth was and the gods came and shaped this formless matter and made the world which we have today. And that makes its way out into the King James Version, which talks about the earth being formless and void. And unfortunately, all the other chapters and all the other translations that we've had since then seem to follow that same convention. And they inherently import this Greek idea of a formless and void world, which is formed into something functional. A better translation is probably something more like the earth was a desolate wilderness. It was watery chaos. In other words, it was unordered. It was unfruitful. It was pathetic. Perhaps there's this idea of chaos and conflict going on. But either way, there's this lifeless, futile space that's shrouded in darkness. But we're told the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. In other words, what we're anticipating is something is about to happen. And that's what we see in verse 3. God says, let there be light. And there was light. And this reminds us, of course, of John chapter 1, the light shining in the darkness, even though it did not understand it. So I want to pause there and realize, okay, so that's what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. God then creates things he starts with a light he starts with this expanse he start and then he sprouts plants for food for people animals to eat animals people come later and over the course of six days god creates all these things and then on the seventh day he rests so what god has done has created this space he's transformed it from something that's dark futile hopeless into something that's characterized by life and fruitfulness, beauty, diversity. So Genesis 1 is a story about a God who breaks through in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the futility. This is a God who breaks through into our world and creates something beautiful out of hopelessness. And the writer of John's Gospel, of course, perceives this and recognizes this and applies this same imagery in the Gospel of John. Now, the second thing I wanted to draw attention to is this structure. Six days, God's work in forming this futile, dark world into a world full of light, hope and fruitfulness. It all takes place over six days. And then God rests for one day. Now, this doesn't seem accidental. What the writer is telling us in Genesis 1 is that the Sabbath rhythm of six days labor and one day's rest is built into the creation account. So not only is God's creative wisdom characterized by light and life, it's also characterized by this rhythm. It doesn't just work relentlessly, it works for six days and then it rests. Now a little bit more about this idea of Sabbath rhythm. The idea that we work for six days and rest for one. Now the rest is not just about rest. It's almost like a celebration. It's an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over creation, God's creative power, in the fact that we don't have to work for seven days. 
it's a celebration, if you like, of God's sovereign power over our world. It's a moment free of anxiety. In the creation account, it's a moment of triumph because God has created his masterpiece out of the dark and broken world. It's a moment of stepping back and appreciating, acknowledging what has been done. It's what God does in Genesis chapter 2. He stands back and goes, oh yes, all that that I've made is very, very good. Sabbath in the Hebrew Bible is also about release from slavery. The Israelites worked tirelessly for seven days under Pharaoh. They would be told to get up, work, work, make bricks, gather straw, make bricks. And the next day they'd get up and do it all again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. This was their life. There was no rest. There was no respite for them. But when God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, this Sabbath rhythm gets instituted in their lives. We see it in Exodus chapter 16, when the people gather manna. They gather it for six days and then they have a Sabbath rest. And this whole idea of this Sabbath rhythm is built into the collection of manna in the wilderness. We're told that on the sixth day, they, create, they gathered twice as much manna so that on the seventh day they could rest. And we're told that those who gathered on the seventh day, their manna was no good. It grew worms and it went off. So there's this idea that's built into Israel's new life under their new regime that is characterized by this six days work and one day rest. And that's one big difference between the reign of Pharaoh and the reign of God. This theme of six days and a seven rest will come up again in the next podcast when we look at John chapter 2. Now, I want to briefly touch on this idea that's presented in Genesis chapter 1 that humans are created in the image and likeness of God. Let me just read from verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's this idea of humanity being created in the image of God. And it's particularly enigmatic. It's slippery. It's hard to nail down exactly what this idea is. We see it here in Genesis chapter 1. The only other two places we see it in the Hebrew Bible is in Genesis chapter 5, where we're told that Adam is made in God's image and then Adam fathers a son in his likeness. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, where we're told that if anyone kills another human by another human, their blood will be shed because humans were created in God's image. And so theologians, scholars, exegetes have argued and wrestled with what this means. In the verse we've just read, you can see there's this idea of dominion and rule. 
And some scholars have said, yes, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. It's to rule over the world he's made. Other scholars zero in on verse 27, this idea of people being created in the image of God and being created male and female. And they zero in on that and say, ah, yes, I see. The substance of the image is to be in relationship with one another and to be in relationship with God. That's another common way that this idea is interpreted. Another way is that there's something about the image which just is. So it's not a role as in ruling. It's not about being in relationship, but it's just something about humans which make them in the image of God, something which separates them from the animal kingdom. And there's been so many people have a stab at this over the years. Some people have said it's upright posture. Some people have said it's humanity's rationality and a power to reason which separates them from the animal kingdom. And that's what it means to be made in God's image. Today, I'm going to bypass all that because it's just a massive rabbit hole for us to fall into. And I just want to briefly talk about the idea of the image in the Hebrew Bible. Now, in the ancient Near East, kings were made in the image of God. Kings were called sons of God. And this gives us an idea of what it means to be made in the image of God. There again is this idea of rule, as people have noticed in Genesis chapter 1. The other way the word image is used in the Bible is to describe statues or idols, as the Bible often refers to them. These images, the same word as is used in Genesis 1 here, were meant to represent gods. So the idea was that the gods lived somewhere else. They lived in the sky, maybe. So you needed someone close to you that you could talk to, that you could pray to. So the ancient peoples would make these images. They were likenesses, statues, either out of wood or stone, some other material. And you could then pray to this God's image and they would listen to you. They would hear you. They would see you. And then they could answer your prayer. You could give sacrifices to the image. And that was a way of communicating with the deity. Because these images weren't just pictorial reminders of the deity. They carried all the power and authority of the deity. So they could see what's going on. They could hear what's going on. And they had power to intervene in the human world. Now it's very fitting here that in Genesis chapter 1, the writer calls humanity little images. In other words, we're like little statues of God here on earth. And as little statues of God, we have the responsibility to do God's work here on earth. It's like we are God's eyes and ears here in the world. And we're told that we carry that divine authority to rule over God's creation. And if we truly are little images, little representations of God, then we are to carry on God's creative work in this world. After all, that's the presentation and the picture of God we see in Genesis chapter 1, is this God whose creative wisdom breaks into the world and creates something new. He shines light into the darkness. He brings life where there was only death and futility. He turns the 
desolate deserts and wilderness wastelands into something beautiful that's thriving and teeming with life. And so if we're going to represent the image of God, if we're going to reflect that divine image, then we need to continue that creative work. And that's something else that I'll pick up in the next podcast. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you in the next podcast when we get back to our study of the Gospel of John. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you.